from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament, Psalm 84. Hear now the word of God for you who are the people of God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs. Indeed, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than live in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, happy is everyone who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to that time of trial. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. I have company that has come, and I have nothing to set before them. And he answers from within, do not bother me. The door has already been locked and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give that child a scorpion? If you then are evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. What do you pray for? Let's talk about it. A few weeks ago in our vacation Bible school, my job was to teach the Bible story for a couple of days to our three and four and five-year-olds. Let me tell you, that kind of assignment will strike terror in your heart. It kept me awake for several nights trying to figure out how to do this as well as I could. But if you let them, those kids can teach you a lot. I remember in particular one morning the lesson was on prayer. I overheard one boy exclaim several times as he jousted with his friends, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I thought to myself, well, there's a start. <laughs> you know, when it comes to prayer, less is often more. When we blurt out those spontaneous prayers like, help, or bless me, or bless you, or thank you, or oh Lord, and of course, Jesus. They all cut to the chase, and they speak what's really close to our hearts at that moment. And to offer up those kind of prayers, I say to you, if you do that, pray on. But if the truth be known, all of us want to know how to pray. Why? Because we were born to pray. It's in our DNA to pray. You see, unlike any other creatures, we're made to dream. We're made to envision life from our hearts. That's why our hearts are always restless until our dreams capture our imagination and, and transforms us. How do I know we we're born to pray? Well, just look at us. We're a fearfully and wonderfully made combination of earth and breath. Plato calls us grounded spirits. We're in love with our lives, but we have no idea how we should live those lives. Even the animals astound us with their ability to find their way in the world, but we look at the world with a question mark on our place in it. Inevitably, many of us will turn to look at Wall Street or Fifth Avenue or the Silicon Valley to, in hopes that they can have some answers for us to help us get a grip on this thing we call life. But as Walker Percy, the author, says, we are lost in the cosmos. You see, there's something deep within you and me that wants to know that there's someone at home in the universe who cares. Thank God Jesus gets us. And he offers us a way to go with our prayers. It's a path complete with signposts to help us navigate the life we're given. And in this model prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, he shows us how to get to the very core of our heart of hearts by learning to dream. Today, this is a prayer that is prayed by all Christians around the world no matter their stripe or their persuasion. 
Early in the life of the church, we have written evidence that Christians were encouraged to pray this prayer three times a day. And in spite of the varied wording that some of us grow up with, some say debts, we get that from Matthew's gospel, and trespasses, we get that from Elizabethan times. It's a translation of Luke's version that we just read. It's the one prayer we can all say together. But I want you to notice something about this prayer. This prayer never mentions Christ. It never mentions doctrines or anything else for that matter that could divide folk into theological camps. In fact, one of my favorite theologians, John Dominic Croson, describes it this way. He says it's simply a Jewish prayer from the Jewish Jesus that ended up on the lips of the Christian church for the conscience of the world. Don't you love that? It's nothing less than a hymn of hope that the whole world can sing if we dare to dream with it, if we dare to pray with it. Recently, I took Tootie's class on dreams here at the church. She's offering another class soon. You may want to check it out. She reminds us that most of our dreams are metaphors that require some thought on our part. They show us meaning-filled stories about ourselves. There's great value, she says, even in our worst nightmares, because they can alert us to the unresolved issues in our lives, and they can be healed. The famed psychiatrist Carl Jung taught us that our dream stories arrive from a creative intelligence within all of us, an intelligence that he calls the spark of God within. And it helps to give us guidance and warning or affirmation if we train ourselves to listen to it. Jesus knew that our prayers, like our dreams, were meant to shape us. Maybe that's why he prayed a lot. On more than one occasion, Jesus told his disciples that he had come not to do his will, but the will of his Father in heaven. When he prayed, I think Jesus was learning how to redefine his wants in light of the wants of God for the world. His praying life was Jesus' way of collaborating with God on things that mattered. I don't know about you, but I find that praying is both easy and hard, all at the same time. A part of me wants to rush into the presence of God and throw down my wishes and run out before I get too bogged down in all the issues that my prayer is going to raise for me. Issues like, what am I doing praying anyway? I don't really know what to say. Or do I really believe any of this? Or, uh-oh, I'm asking God to do stuff that I should be doing. Or, why does my mind wander when I get to praying? Maybe that's why many of us keep a polite distance from too much prayer. It can get us in trouble. I've observed over the years that some of us have a tendency to think of our faith as pretty much a matter of keeping a good disposition. We want to be people who try to be nice to others. We want to be people who feel sad about the hungry or the homeless, who, who feel righteous anger about the treatment of minorities or immigrants or the poor, who remember to thank God for what we do have. 
and who try to make sure that our hearts are in the right place. That's all well and good, but faith, faith which shapes how we pray, is not only about the maintenance of our interior life, it's equally about our outer life and how we choose to live it. So what does the Lord's Prayer teach us to do? It teaches us, first of all, that we need to get the address straight. We need to realize who we're talking to. We're speaking to our Abba, our Papa. Not some aloof and indifferent deity, but one who looks on us with a loving tenderness and a constant affection. And once we have that image in our mind, then we can boldly forge ahead as we pray that such a trustworthy reputation of that Abba's love and affection would be kept sacred in our hearts and cry out for the will of God all in the same breath. In the Greek, it's the wish of God. Did we say the dream of God to become a living reality here on earth as it is where God is? Can you latch onto that image, the dream of God? It's like a mother who has, a, has these great dreams for her child. It's like an artist who sees an image on a canvas even before the first brush stroke. It's, it's like a musician who feverishly lays down on paper the music that's swirling in his head. God has great dreams for this world. Dreams for daily bread and gracious forgiveness and debt-free living for all, and plus enough courage to resist the devil's shortcuts to easy street. Oh, that's just wishful thinking, some are going to say. Is it? Is it? We've got enough history to remind us that when enough folks take to putting feet to their prayers, good things happen. You know, there was a time in this world when hospitals for sick people didn't exist, when widows and orphans and the poor in general were considered cursed by God and abandoned by all, when the life of a slave was valued only in dollars, when women were, for all practical purposes, bartered property. What happened to change things? Nothing less than the conspiracy of God, I would say. I like that idea of conspiracy. It literally means with breath. I see conspiratorial acts going on all the time here in this church. As groups of people put their heads and their hearts together and work so closely together that they end up breathing one another's breath as they plan to do good things in this world. Listen to this. Jesus was so certain that this conspiracy, that this dream of God was worth praying for that he was even willing to stake his life on it. Even when the powers that be of this world thought that the kingdom and the power and the glory belonged to them. Of course, we we know that not all of Jesus' praying got answered the way he wanted it to. 
crucified to a cross, his only prayer in that hour of abandonment was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But those weren't his last words. Like Job of old who cried out, yea, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Jesus in his dying breath would say, into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe that's why Jesus included this story about the neighbor banging on his neighbor's door for bread after everybody had gone to bed. Jesus knew that life can throw us for a loop in the middle of our nights with things that we can't fix or undo or change. His answer, keep asking, keep seeking. Keep knocking shamelessly and don't give up. Even in the darkest moments, <clears throat> heaven's doors are never bolted, but they're always open to you. See, God knows what our heart is really looking for in the midst of all our asking and seeking and knocking, and it's not things. It's the spirit we've been looking for all along. Say what? The bottom line is that our prayers is to have the gift of God's spirit. Listen. Deep in our psyche, deep in our dreams, deep in our bones, we know that we need only one thing, and it is this, to know that this beautiful life we have, this beautiful world we have, is connected to someone who matters and someone who loves us and this world like we matter. That's all. Everything else is just icing on the cake if we could have that. C.S. Lewis described such a longing this way. He wrote, we want to see something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. At present, we're on the outside of the door. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. There it is the dream of God, the kingdom of God, our deepest longing, the treasure that makes us homesick. Frederick Beekner put it this way. <clears throat> he said, the kingdom of God, time after time, Jesus tries to drum into our heads what he means. He heaps parable upon parable like a madman. He tries shouting it. He tries whispering it. What he seems to be saying is that the kingdom of God is the time or time beyond time when it will no longer be humans in their lunacy who are in charge of the world, but God in his mercy who will be in charge of the world. 
is the time above all else for wild rejoicing, like getting out of jail, like being cured of cancer, like finally at last coming home. And Jesus says, it is at hand. The kingdom of God is here among us. What about you? What have you been praying for? Health, family, relationships, work, money, parking places. All that is well and good. But think about this. What if we began to make God's dream our personal dream? What if instead of hanging all our hopes on a heaven and the hereafter, we began, like Jesus, to pray for heaven here on earth? Today, now. What if we dared to imagine that together we can have spirited dreams, holy spirited dreams that will liberate this world from all evil and injustice and domination and make it what it has always wanted to be, what it has always grown to be, what it has always dreamed to be? Friends, there's much to do. According to Jesus, this dream of God is closer than we dare imagine. It is here, now, among us. We even catch glimpses of every now and then, and they're breathless moments, they're holy moments, but it has not yet fully come. And it is in this tension we live, perhaps the most truly creative tension we can ever imagine that such a hope can cause you and me to dream new dreams and see new visions. And you know, if we dream like he did and let our prayers reshape our lives for purposes that are larger than ourselves, the impossible will become possible and we shall be changed. Oh, I know. I know some of us can no longer say a prayer without a deep sigh and thoughts of why bother. After all, we've seen enough hurt and disappointment to last a lifetime, haven't we? But here's the good news. If we would dare to keep this simple prayer dancing in our heads, it would give us a chance to lift up our eyes and say to God shamelessly, look, I'm still in this game with you. My heart has been intrigued by your dreams. Count me in. I'm ready to play ball in your courts. Yeah, I know. I'm dreaming. Want to join me? Amen.
Friends, go out into the world in peace. Be of good courage. Hold fast to that which is good. Render to no one evil for evil. Lift up the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within each of you, now and forever. Amen.